the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Len Kordakovsky is just back from Israel. The former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State and often a guest on the Hugh Hewitt Show joins me. Good morning, Len. How long were you in Israel and what did you see there? Good morning, Hugh. Thanks again for having me. Um, I actually was in Israel for about a month and uh, I felt like I needed to go there and I need to experience it for myself. Um, after October 7th, when the Hamas massacre took place, I talked to many uh, in Israel from uh, government officials, business leaders, military people, uh, just average civilians. And um, I, I was startled by what I heard. Uh, the, the tremor in their voices told me this was something different and I needed to see it and feel it for myself. Uh, Lynn, ought we to try and take the show there? I don't know that it's actually possible. But it, it, I don't know enough people broadcasting from Israel. I don't think Americans understand what Israel is thinking at all. So I'm thinking about taking the radio show there. What do you think? Is that a bad idea or a good idea? That is a great idea here. Uh, it, it, and it's much needed because you're right. Uh, there's the words that are used to describe what happened on October 7th don't do the event justice. Uh, the, the palpable pain that you see from every Israeli and not just Jewish Israelis, Arab Israelis. You know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure when I went to Israel is talk to uh, all Israelis. And I, I, um, uh, I, as you know, that I, I have an Arab language platform called Yella. And one of the things that I wanted to do is interview Arab Israelis and Arab voices, Muslims, Christians, Druze, uh, all, all uh, people who were on the ground who experienced the event. And for them, just like the Jewish Israelis, there's before October 7th and there's after October 7th. And you don't really understand the nature of what happened unless you go to those towns in the south that were attacked by those um, uh, Iranian-sponsored beasts. And I can, I can only call them beasts because what happened there is indescribable in human terms. You have to go to the homes that were invaded. You have to see, you have to smell the, the char of the uh, buildings of human flesh. Um, uh, you have to hear the stories from people who survived and witnessed what happened. And you have to understand why Israel is intent on doing what it's doing in order to prevent something like this from ever happening again. You know, and I would just say one more thing. This is not just about Israel. For the Jewish people around the world, there's before October 7th and there's after October 7th. Uh, what happened will, uh, will, 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 will has, has had such a profound impact on all of us. Uh, this was the most documented atrocity against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And the world's response to it is uh, so inversely perverse and inexplicable that uh, for all of us in the Jewish community, 
um, there, there will never be going back to where, where it was. And for us, never again really does mean never again. Now, Len, I, I'm not Jewish, but I've had the same uh, reaction that anyone who isn't Jewish can have who can be horrified, which is, I can't believe this is happening. Because I, I know my history and I know about pogroms. I don't think any pogrom that is recorded in history was quite as brutal as those eight hours. I, I, I know about pogroms in Palestine prior to the uh, declaration of the state by the U.N. that occurred that people had to flee Israel. And I know about pogroms in Iraq that sent tens of thousands of Jews to Israel after Israel became a state. But I don't know of a massacre like this. I mean, on this scale, even in the pale uh, in, in your mother, Russia, do you? Did the, did the Cossacks ever take 1,200 lives in a single eight hour span? Well, you know, uh, unfortunately, the Jewish people have uh, a lot of experience in atrocities, and um, it's hard to measure one atrocity over another atrocity. Um, look, I mean, the, the Nazis shot 30,000 Jews in, uh, uh, during World War II around Kiev and buried them in Babi Yar. Uh, I, so, you know, there were quite a few things that have happened to us over uh, the epochs, but... Uh, None that I lived through, none that any of us, uh, you know, have firsthand experience with other than the, the remaining Holocaust survivors. And, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of uh, several Holocaust survivors that, uh, including my grandparents, who have fled um, the Soviet Union, who grew up before the Holocaust and survived the Holocaust and survived the communists, uh, to come to the United States. And um, I, I have to think of uh, a few homes that I visited where Holocaust survivors were executed in their own homes by these Hamas terrorists. Now, imagine surviving the horrors of the Nazis only to be slaughtered in your own home in the Jewish homeland. I mean, this is the kind of emotional and shocking event that happened. And look, we're, we're talking about nine-month-old babies taken from their mothers, uh, all the way up to 87-year-old uh, uh, people uh, taken from their homes, kept in tunnels, starved, deprived of medicine. We're talking about young Jewish women raped, burned to death, uh, shot as they were being raped. Th there's only so many words that exist in the English language or in any language that can Len, describe I, what I, happened. And frankly, I, I, I'm now thinking about the Jewish women uh, who are probably wondering, what about us? Don't Jewish women count? Uh, We're going to come to that. we got plenty of time. In the world. Yeah. We're going to come to that. But I, I, here's where I'm leading with my question. I know about the Hebron pogrom before the state of Israel existed, where hundreds of Jews were killed and others fled when the local Palestinians decided to try and preempt the creation of the state of Israel. It was unsuccessful, but it was bloody. That's pre-1938. And the period of time, 1938, Crystal knocked to the... Uh, liberation of the camps is the worst ever. But now we have new technology. And if Hamas had had a nuclear weapon, they would have used it. And the reason the pogrom of 10-7 is different from anything we've ever seen before is that the, the methods of modern killing were given to monsters who killed everything with glee. So I think we have to conclude, if Iran can get a dirty bomb made and to Hamas, Hamas will use it. 
If they can get anything to Hamas, Hamas will use it. And we have to act on that, don't we? I think this is a very uncomfortable question for many people, but I think any reasonable observer of Iran and the Middle East has to understand that Hamas would not have embarked on this attack of this scale and of this nature without the permission, at the very least, the blessing of the Ayatollahs in Iran. Uh, Hamas is a proxy of Iran. Hezbollah, which is to the north of uh, Israel, is a proxy of Iran. Houthis, who are firing rockets at Americans uh, and American ships, are a proxy of Iran. If you're in denial uh, that Iran is behind all of this, then I think you're deluding yourself and we're setting ourselves up for a, uh, um, you know, something, in, you know, inexplicable uh, in terms of uh, the threat to the American people and the people outside of Israel. Uh, yes, you're right, Hugh. If Iran gets its hands on a nuclear weapon, if Iran can sneak a dirty bomb or, or anything of that nature to one of its proxies, then not only the Israelis are in danger, but Americans are in danger, our Arab neighbors are in danger, the world uh, is in danger. And the question that needs to be uh, asked now, because, uh, you know, all roads lead to Tehran, is at what point do we act against the head of the octopus? And I know it's uncomfortable for the Biden administration to ask, to ask this question because um, they've reversed all the policies that have deterred Iran. But that question needs to be asked, not for the Israelis or any of our uh, friends anywhere else, but for the security of the American people. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So, Len, I, I would like to ask, how long you expect the Israelis to stay there? I expect them to stay until everyone from Hamas is dead and all the tunnels are destroyed, but I want to hear from you. And then I want your explanation for the inexplicable comments of Secretary Blinken about Israel not having enough credit, like we have a bank account with Israel or something, and the vice president and the secretary of defense, all three of them three days in a row, saying extraordinarily appeasement-oriented statements as cowardly as cheese-eating surrender monkeys, and it's usually applied to the French, and it has been in The Simpsons since, I think, 1995. The French are doing it again. Macron is out there criticizing Israel. Everyone is. But I'm most concerned about our own vice president, our own secretary of state, and our own secretary of defense. What do you think they're doing? Wow. Um, Well, I can tell you what uh, the people in Israel are feeling. And uh, I I have to go back, uh, and they were actually genuinely touched by President Biden's initial remarks after October 7th. 
but uh, you know, Secretary Blinken's uh, incessant trips to the region to lecture the Israelis of how to conduct uh, a humane war. Now, the Israeli military and the Israeli government is no less humane than the American government. And imagine if after 9-11, uh, uh, some foreign leader came to the United States to lecture us uh, how to be nice to the people who slaughtered our Americans. I mean, this is what it sounds like to Israelis. It's just incomprehensible. And frankly, it's offensive. Uh, so uh, uh, this administration has um, you know, been incoherent in its foreign policy. It has, on one hand, condemned the, uh, you know, let, let's even go back to Ukraine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, uh, enabled uh, Putin to invade Ukraine and then complained about Putin invading Ukraine. It has uh, enabled Iran to fund, train, and arm Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis. And then it complains about him, uh, you know, them using the funds to, uh, to threaten our allies. So I, the, the whole, the whole uh, foreign policy of this administration is inexplicable. Uh, to the Israelis, more and more with every lecture, uh, it's wearing thin. Now, look, for political reasons, the Israeli government and Israelis won't tell you this because the United States is, uh, and the United States government is playing a big role in, uh, in, in resupplying Israel for what it needs to do, as we should be doing. Uh, and uh, America is still Israel's closest friend, so there's only so much that uh, Israeli officials will say publicly. But, hey, I'm not an Israeli official. I'm not part of the Biden administration, so I can tell you that those lectures are ridiculous. They sound ridiculous. They sound offensive to average people. And at, at a certain point, you're going to see the Israeli officials say, well, thank you for coming. Thank you for your opinion. We appreciate your help. But we're going to do what we have to do to save our country, because for Israel, this is an existential threat. So no lecture about, um, you know, being more humanitarian than the pope is going to prevent Israel from protecting its citizens. You know, Len, when we need the aircraft carriers there in America's national interest, but the Israelis need them there to deter Hezbollah for as long as they need to be deterred until they can turn their attention to Hezbollah in Iran. So I understand why they're being diplomatic. But last night, Prime Minister Netanyahu gave a press conference in which he said Israel will make its own decisions about what is in the best interest of Israel. And I fully expect him to follow through and, and the war cabinet of Gantz and Gallant to support him based on that exchange. I think Israel's going to be in Gaza for years, but I think this offensive is going to go on for months, maybe six or eight, because it's going to take a long time to destroy what is, in essence, the underground in London. How long do you think they're going to be there in force? I think they have to be there for a while, Hugh. Uh, there's no uh, transitional government that is ready <clears throat> to take place of Hamas. Uh, the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank is just as corrupt and just as vicious. You know, they, they pay the, uh, the, the quote-unquote martyrs who have invaded Israel on October 7th and slaughtered babies, women, children, the elderly. The PA is paying them. So uh, absent the Israeli military uh, uh, threat uh, uh, on the West Bank, the PA would be Hamas. So uh, beyond that, 
the PA is corrupt and, and incompetent. The Palestinians know that. The Israelis know that. They cannot govern Gaza. They cannot be, as I've heard in the last week or so, the, the possibility of installing Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority into Gaza. I mean, they, they took Gaza over in 2005, and Hamas took it from them in 2007. So, uh, unfortunately, they are not a credible replacement for Hamas. There is no clear plan for the day after, which means the Israeli military is going to have to stay there long enough to ensure that Hamas and whatever its remnants uh, evolve into uh, can no longer threaten Israelis living in the south. Because right now, those Israeli towns that were invaded on October 7th have been evacuated. The towns in the north that are, um, you know, at the Lebanon border have been evacuated because of the threat from Hezbollah. It is inconceivable that Israel is going to live with the reality that they cannot resettle parts of Israel because of this ongoing threat. Len, you're a man of letters. Is it wrong to use the phrase insipid vacuity? Because I want to describe the Tom <laughs> Friedman column yesterday, and I... Is it redundant to say insipid vacuity? Well, first of all, Hugh, you're giving me too much credit. I, I am an immigrant. I came here from the Soviet Union, and English is my second language. So sounds right to me, whatever it means. Well, it's about Thomas Friedman's column yesterday, telling Israel what it should do. A 70-year-old columnist ends using a quote from a 50-year-old movie, Chinatown. It's the Middle East, Jake. I just think to myself, where do Americans get off? And I wonder, did, did the average Israeli in the street, or in case of Tom Friedman, an Israeli cab driver, did anyone say to you, where do you Americans get off telling us how to respond to this? No, uh, I, I didn't hear that because the Israelis are too busy fighting for their life. Um, m most of the conversations there... Uh, or about, uh, well, you know, uh, Hamas, of course, but more, uh, e even even more pressing and more um, uh, uh, touching, you know, is, is the situation of the hostages that Hamas took. Uh, the uh, 240 or so Jewish, uh, not just Jewish, actually, uh, hostages from various nations, most of them Jewish, uh, were uh, grabbed from Israel and taken to Gaza into those tunnels and God knows where else. And so those hostages are on the minds of uh, all Israelis, uh, Jewish and non-Jewish. And uh, it's great that about 100 of them have been returned. But uh, every time I see the pictures of those kids coming back and the women coming back from those tunnels uh, to the cheers of, uh, of people celebrating what just happened, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what are these children, what are these women, what are these old people doing in the tunnels of Gaza? You know, let, let's just, where is our moral clarity? And uh, that is what's on the mind of the Israelis. And frankly, you know, what Americans say or do is far, far distant on that list. Uh, but at the same time, look, Americans know, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Israelis know that the American people are with them, and that's very, very heartening. And it gives them strength, and it definitely helps them because not too many countries have expressed support uh, and, or, or do so on a regular basis. Uh, the United States still stands by Israel diplomatically, militarily, uh, and uh, in, in so many humanitarian uh, ways. So the Israelis know the Americans are their friends. Uh, we just need 
uh, to be very sensitive friends at this point in time. And not everything is about us. Right now, Israelis are hurting. We need to offer them comfort. We need to offer our support. We need to back up our words with actions. And we need to shut the hell up and make sure that they have what they need to save their country from Iranian terrorists that are hell-bent on destroying it. There's no talk of a two-state solution. Uh, only one side is talking about two states. You can't have a conversation about two states, for example, where only one side is willing to compromise. So that conversation is, is take, has, has been shelved, and the Israelis' priorities are now, just like in any crisis, we're going to deal with a crisis right, right in front of us. We're going to make sure our people are safe, and then we're going to worry about uh, feelings of our friends somewhere 6,000 miles away. Leonard, you, you just remind me, Len Kordakovsky. Uh, in 1996, I did a series for PBS, and I interviewed the late Rabbi Harold Kushner, uh, author of "When Good Things Happen to Bad," uh, "When Bad Things Happen to Good People," and he said the number one rule: show up and shut up. Friends should show up and shut up. They shouldn't offer advice. They shouldn't compare the situation to their own situation. Show up and shut up and do what you can. It's the perfect advice. Now I want to dial into American politics. Last night, we had a basically non-lethal pogrom in Philadelphia. Hundreds of people turning out in a mob outside of a Jewish delicatessen owned by a Jewish American who I think might have dual citizenship with Israel. It is just the latest in a series of mass mob actions that have made many Jewish Americans afraid. From the campus of Harvard to the campus of the University of California at San Diego. You're a Jewish American. What do you expect the president to do right now about this? Well, uh... This, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this does not feel like just an assault on Israel. This feels like an assault on all <clears throat> Jewish people in the United States and around the world. Uh, uh, we, you know, the, the, I can tell you from personal experience, um, I have two daughters in the university here uh, in New Jersey. Uh, what they have to put up with on a daily basis to be told not to go to certain places because they, their presence might provoke uh, these hordes, uh, uh, I, you know, outside of my own home, I have uh, an American flag, as any self-respecting American should. And after October 7th, we put up an Israeli flag in solidarity with the people of Israel. Promptly, that flag was torn down. Fortunately, our ring camera caught the punk with a keffiyeh on his head who tore that flag down. So that is how Jews feel right now. And we're, we're very far away from what George Washington described as living in peace under the, the tree uh, in his letter to the Hebrew congregation. Now, that is how we feel. Uh, to deny Jews their right to feel under assault is, um, you know, is I, I would say, you know, it doesn't feel American to me. Uh, we are always on the front lines of commiserating with other people's pain and when other um, communities are feeling pain, Jews are always front and center and supporting them. It just feels pretty lonely right now uh, when the Jewish people are under assault, when our men, young men and women on campus are under constant assault, when showing up on a street wearing a sign of being Jewish, whether it's a yarmulke or a Star of David, feels like you're putting your life in danger. Uh, and, and owning a Jewish-owned business uh, is an act of courage. Now, that is not America, and that is certainly 
not the America that my parents and I and my grandparents came to in the early 80s when Reagan talked about the shining city up the, on the hill. And we better do something about it because Jews are always the canary in a coal mine. First it's us, then it's everybody else. So I'm going to conclude this way, Len. I agree with you, and I think the president ought to be speaking about this. And I think the governor of Pennsylvania, who spoke very sharply, and I like Josh Shapiro a lot, I think he needs to send National Guard to Philadelphia, and they need to begin to arrest people who are violating the, the law against assault. Assault and battery. Battery requires a touching. Assault just requires a credible threat. It needs to be enforced. Fighting words are not protected under the Constitution. But I want to end with a political question, because I listened to Mike Murphy talking to Dan Senor yesterday, and, and I objected, uh, because they thought this was just not a big political event, or they, I, they didn't talk about it like I would talk. I think it's a realigning moment in America. And I don't care if it's former President Trump as the nominee, or if it's uh, Ron DeSantis or Nikki. I think a lot of people are going are gonna to leave the Democrats over this, because they are failing to stand up for American basic values of toleration and defense of all people. Do you agree with me on that, Len? I don't know, Hugh. Uh, I've watched many elections. Uh, I've watched, uh, and, you know, I am a minority in the Jewish community, uh, which votes with Democrats, mm -hmm. you know, 70 to 75% of the time. Um, so it's uh, the Jewish community voted for President Obama, who was the most anti-Jewish president that I can remember. Uh, now, remember, many of the people in the Biden administration are Obama people, and their policies are Obama's policies. So it's hard for me to predict what the Jewish uh, community is going to do here in the United States. I, I hope we wake up. I hope we see the Hamas lobby in Congress, the, or, or as uh, I've called them, the Hamas caucus, led by Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar and uh, their ilk who are unabashedly uh, anti-Semitic. I hope that uh, Jewish Democrats will finally um, see the events of October 7th as a watershed moment and, um, and, and make the Democrat Party pay a price, political price, uh, for the kind of toxic uh, instigation that has been, uh, that, that has emanated from their leadership. Um, I, I, I hope so, I hope so, because, um, I, I see the Democratic Party going in a really wrong direction uh, for a long time. Uh, and it doesn't just start with this event. It started uh, long before, even long before Obama. Uh, and it's, it's disturbing. Uh, and I think the Jewish Democrats uh, have to realize and see it for what it is. I hope uh, you're right, Lynn. The, the, bi the bipartisan consensus that's existed in America uh, in reference to Israel and uh, certainly Jewish Americans is, is not there anymore. I hope that you are right and that people wake up. Len, we are out of time. Thank you for joining. Keep coming back. Message from Len on X. Go and follow him. And it's very vital that you do that. Thank you, Len Kordakovsky. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.